You're listening to the Do Justice Podcast, exploring faith, meeting the world, from Shining Waters Regional Council of the United Church of Canada. Welcome to Do Justice, the podcast for Friday, December 4th. My name is Brianne Swan. I use she and her pronouns, and I am Minister for Social and Ecological Justice with Shining Waters Regional Council, part of the United Church of Canada. I am recording from my home office in what is now known as Toronto, Ontario. It is important for me to take a moment and acknowledge the land I am working from is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and it is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Shining Waters Regional Council is also an affirming ministry within the United Church of Canada. What this means is that Shining Waters is explicit in its embrace and affirmation of those within queer communities. Lesbian, gay, straight, bisexual, transgendered, cisgendered, non-binary, two-spirit, and more, we are all of these and understand this diversity as a blessing. Thank you to those of you who wrote to me after last week's episode. I love receiving your email, and it's been really nice to touch base again with those who were listening when we were the Living Presence podcast before we rebranded. If ever you would like to be in touch, perhaps you have a recommendation for a guest, or maybe you'd like to read scripture, or perhaps you just want to send a note to say, hey, please feel very free to email me at bswan, that's B-S-W-A-N, at united-church.ca. I would really love to hear from you. And also, if you are coming to do justice for the first time, welcome I am very glad that you are here. If you like what you're hearing, I encourage you to subscribe so that we will keep showing up in your podcast feed every week. Whether you use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or basically whatever, we are there. On this week's episode, we will be reflecting on Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, with the Reverend Karen Orlandi. Joel from Start Me Up Niagara is our reader for this week's episode. We'll be talking about Karen's relentless and tenacious advocacy for street-involved folks she ministers to, and how since the pandemic, talking about poop has taken up so much of her time. We will hear words from Frances Ellen Watkins Harper 
and music by Imori. But first... On December 6, 1989, at École Polytechnique in Montreal, a lone gunman entered the school, walked into a classroom, separated the men from the women, and told the men to leave. He then opened fire on the women, saying he was fighting feminism. Afterwards, he moved through the college, targeting women, ultimately killing 14. He also injured 10 women and 4 men before killing himself. Up until this year, it was the deadliest rampage in Canadian history. That was when, on April 18th and 19th, a lone gunman killed 22 people. And it is worth noting that the April Nova Scotia attacks also started as an act of violence targeting a woman when the perpetrator attacked his spouse. 31 years later, violence against women continues to exist. In Canada, we commemorate December 6th by wearing white ribbons. The white ribbon campaign began in 1991 with men pledging to never commit, condone, or remain silent about violence against women and girls. The campaign has grown and grown, and since then, December 6th has been commemorated as the National Day of Remembrance and Action on Violence Against Women. Over and over again in the Gospels, we witness Jesus' care for women. Not only women who conformed to societal understandings of women's roles, but women who were out on the margins into the wilderness of society. The woman at the well. The hemorrhaging woman. The woman who anointed him for burial. He kept company with Mary and Martha, it was women who were first witness to the resurrection. And as we will be talking about in a couple of weeks, it was a woman, Mary, who consented to bear and care for a child Christ. I ask us to take a minute of silence now, in memory of those who died 31 years ago, and since. The women who have died at the hands of domestic partners. Missing and murdered indigenous women. Women who have died by suicide because of gender-based targeting and torment. We take a moment to remember.
chasing mountains I can't climb Holding out for heroes in the night I find myself here in the dark We learn to fight and learn who we are But I am raised up to face the stars Full of light And we are Makes you shiver and I chase the winter out of my mind like the dark in the distance. Sometimes it takes all you got to believe You're all here in the dark We learn to fight when we fall apart But we are raised up to face the start And there's a And we are wild Like a river Wild like the fire in your veins Makes you shiver and Chase the winter out of my mind like the dark in the distance.
Testing, testing. Cue me. You good? The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and write the thong. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So I am so pleased this morning to be joined by the Reverend Karen Orlandi, who is minister at Silver Spire United Church in St. Catharines, Ontario. Thanks for being with us, Karen. It's an absolute honor, and thank you for asking me, Brianne. My pleasure. So I'm wondering if you could start just by telling us a little bit about what it is you do at Silver Spire and some of the programs that you've been creating and leading. Absolutely. So St. Catharines uh, is a large city, I would say. We're about 130,000 people, 150,000. And Silver Spire is right in the downtown core. Uh, we have a, a, we have quite an issue with homelessness, uh, with mental health and with addictions. And as opposed to a lot of cities, it's very prevalent in the downtown core. You can see it. It's not like there's a different area that you just don't go to. It's quite aware. COVID-19 has definitely made it more visible. So we've had some programs that we've run for quite a long time and then others which we've uh, created, expanded, all sorts of wonderful things within the last couple of years that I've been at Silver Spire. So we did always did the program for Out of the Cold, which is where we serve a meal every night or on the Monday nights for us between November and March. Uh, that's always been a strong piece of our, our outreach programs. Uh, but when COVID-19 hit, oddly enough, probably not a surprise to your listeners, but the majority of the volunteers at all the other churches are relatively aged um, and they're quite terrified. So all of a sudden, the other six churches had no volunteers to serve and didn't know how we were going to serve. So we did a blend of, if you're homeless, you can come in. If you have a home, we'll do takeout for you. And our numbers dropped, jumped from about 150 meals a night to 300 meals a night. Wow. And they all served out of our kitchen. Um, and people were able to come in and sit down and be. Because, of course, with COVID-19 and everything shutting down, 
and you're only allowed in a restaurant if you can pay, there's no place for people to get warm at that time, to get cool in the summer. There's no place for people to use, and this will come up probably several times, but to use facilities, to use washrooms, mm-hmm. uh, no place to access potable water, drinking water. So we were able to open up and do that for about a month and a half, uh, which was absolutely an absolute joy. And then when we realized that this wasn't going to end, we only had one cooling station funded by the city, which wasn't anywhere near where people needed it, like the folks that actually don't have access to homes. So we again opened up um, as a drop-in through the summer on Saturdays and Sundays. The great thing about churches and the burden of churches is that we have these giant, huge, massive buildings that are horrifically underutilized. There's nobody in most of them, most of the time. Uh, when we think of our sanctuaries, um, we use them for, what, an hour on Sunday morning? We have a morning prayer service, so we have folks that come in Monday to Friday and then have breakfast after a short uh, reflective service. And we have 15, 20 people out to that every day. It's grown as well. Um, but we have the size and the space to be able to do that safely, even during a pandemic. So we've had the drop-in open, and then we've now reopened the drop-in for the winter. So we're again open 10 to 5 Saturdays and Sundays, which is when there are no other services open. Um, And I'm terrible for digressing, so I'll apologize to everybody now. But one of the really important things, I think, when we do this kind of work is knowing the rest of the, the community, knowing what they do and uh, making sure that you fit in with what's needed and not duplicate services because that's just really a waste of time and energy. Um, And it takes away from what people are already doing. And we we don't need to do that. There's plenty of spaces that need to be filled. For us, we have washrooms, we have running water, and we have space. So we are happy to open that up. Um, I'm trying to think of what else we do. Oh, we have a shower program. We are the only folks in the city that provide showers for folks living on the streets. Um, So we have that Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. But within the drop-in, we also have it now all day Saturday and Sunday. And that's really crucial because it can give people time in the showers. We might hop in for 15 minutes quickly because we can go every day. Mm -hmm. But when you can only go once a week, it takes a little bit longer. And also people are very, you know, very traumatized. There's a lot of PTSD out on the street. Just living on the street causes a great deal of PTSD. Um, The Bear Clan Patrol is an indigenous initiative that we run out of the church. So it's it's a great piece of uh, towards Truth and Reconciliation Commission as well, our calls to action, which are education. Um, so the Bear Clan Patrol, we walked on, uh, both Brianna and I did, in Winnipeg through part of our schooling for seminary. And it's an initiative uh, created by James Favell, who is an Indigenous man in the north end of Winnipeg, who got frustrated um, about uh, the missing woman, Tina Fontaine. And he got a group of his friends out to go looking for her. Um, they eventually did find her body. She did not survive. But what it made them do is realize that they needed to take on the traditional role of the bear and the bear clan, which is guarding the community, protecting the community, and healing the community. Um, So when we walked with that, it was a revelation to see people 
not trying to fix people, not trying to help people, but just trying to be with people and let people know they were there and that they cared. It's a, it's a ministry of relationships, of building relationships. And I always say there's four things that happen with Bear Clan. We get a bunch of people together, volunteers, whoever shows up, and we walk the downtown streets and into the alleys and into the bush uh, to find folks that are encamped there. We bring just snacks and gloves right now because it's cold, ponchos if it's wet. But what we do really is try and remember people's names and greet them by name and ask how they are and listen to what they have to say. It sounds pretty simplistic and it is powerful. That's usually the way it is. The simpler the, the message, the more powerful you can deliver it. What's great is that the people who we meet feel seen and they feel worthy. Uh, the people who walk are absolutely changed because they stop seeing a vagrant on the corner or a drug addict in a doorway and they start to recognize their names, maybe know a bit of their story, their history, what brought them to where they are, maybe some of their dreams. And it's uh, pretty powerful for all of us. In turn, the community sees us on the streets and feels like the community is actually safer. Um, and we also pick up any drug paraphernalia that's lying around, um, which makes the city look a little better. Um, it feels better for folks who live here. Um, it's pretty remarkable ministry that we get to do. And like I said, it's steeped in Indigenous traditions and understanding that our spirits are all one and we need to take care of all our relations. Yeah, it's a really powerful um, testament to living out uh, what what we are called to do by by the gospel. We were talking on last week's episode, well, I guess two weeks ago. Now we're recording this a week early um, about the final passage of the liturgical year. The where the sheep and the goats are separated, but then Jesus goes on to say, you know, if whenever you care for the sick or the stranger or the one who is, who is in prison, you do this to me. And what's what we discussed and what's interesting about that passage is, is that it's not about what people say they believe in or who they say that Jesus is. It's all about action. Like what are you doing to, to care for those around around you and be a presence. And so that's one of the things that I found really, really powerful about your ministry and the ministry that you facilitate at Silver Spire. In our gospel passage from this week, Mark 1, 1 to 8, we find we're at the very beginning of Mark's gospel and we're meeting John the Baptist for the first time. And one of the reasons I wanted to speak with Karen in relationship to this passage is, is how tenacious is that? Can we use that word? How tenacious uh, she is. And you are Karen in trying to get your message across to the people, whether it be at city council or within the church about the needs of people who are often sort of cast aside, you know, and, and not cared for your work around advocating 
the absolute necessity of having washroom facilities. It's quite fascinating. You know, I never thought I would preach on poop, but I have. And it was a good sermon. I'll tell you that. And in fact, uh, friends of mine have used that. Um, That tenacity, I think, is so imperative. I, you know, and I admire John, you know, for never stopping, right? Being totally on the outskirts, but never stopping his mission. Yeah, it's quite amazing. The other part I really like that you were talking about is that piece around um, what we're called to do, right? And it's an interesting thing when he says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And to me, that really speaks to me about the idea of what are you going to do? Are you going to follow Jesus or are you going to be Jesus? And I think there's a difference. Um, And not to say that one is better than the other. I think we're all different people and we all need to find that answer in our own way. But for me, there is a huge piece that says um, feeding the hungry and clothing the naked is important. And it is. Changing the system is a whole nother ballgame. What Mm -hmm. made them hungry? Why are they not clothed in the first place? Um, There's a difference between feeding somebody and sitting down and eating with them. I don't remember Jesus ever in the kitchen. He was always sitting with people, talking to them, listening to their stories, and then going back to the synagogue and telling everybody about it. You know, and I think that's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. You know, the idea of, you know, I haven't tossed a table yet, but, you know, there's time. So my absolute obsession with the idea that people need 24-hour access to washrooms and running drinkable water is is a passion for me because we're sitting here in the middle of uh, a pandemic where hygiene is our biggest uh, arsenal against a pandemic and we have all these people without access to be able to wash their hands and it just blows my mind so uh did you want me to tell some of the stories of of uh, my advocacy <laughs> maybe absolutely Absolutely. So after the pandemic had started, we'd been going and everything kind of started to open up a little bit. And we have a farmer's market here. And, uh, and I knew, I knew if there's going to be a grand opening of the farmer's market, our mayor is going to be there. And so I went to the farmer's market and I stood around and I waited until he came out and I ambushed him to talk about the access to toilets in uh, the downtown core. And, uh, so we had a great conversation, probably nicer for me than it was for him, about toilets. And they had put up, so we have locked toilets in the in the downtown park, the major park where people hang out. And they... Doesn't seem very useful. No, interesting enough, they are locked for the season. So there is a season when you use the bathroom and a season where you don't. It's very Ecclesiastes. And so the season <laughs> had actually opened and they were still locked. And I was totally befuddled by this. And they're only open during the day because... There is a time to go to the washroom and a time not to go to the washroom. So I asked him, you know, what is the issue? He talked about PPE. I suggested uh, we have a huge, huge medical supply company here that would be happily donate if they needed more PPE to clean the washrooms. Uh, He cited it was a scheduling issue, so I offered to help with that because I used to work um, for a company where we scheduled hundreds of people, I offered Uh, I don't think he was pleased with my offer. But then the next one was, you know, we have unions to deal with. 
And then he offered the fact that we had porta potties put up, which I appreciate very much. Um, but I noted that they're not being cleaned either. And he said, well, they're using your own risk. And he's a very compassionate man. This is no statement about him. It's a statement on how we run our governments, right? And it's mm-hmm. the idea that these people are risk worthy. You take the risk. It's okay. I'm going home to my clean washroom, but you can use this one. It's all right. And I found that horrifically offensive. Uh, they don't have running water. They mostly often don't ha- need to be cleaned. They definitely need toilet paper. They definitely need, there's a lot of issues. So I started going to using the porta potties once a month and then blogging about my experience um, to see if that would work. We then had a couple of other phone calls um, between the mayor and I. We started um, moving some of our neighborhood associations to demand uh, toilets and running water. And uh, we started actually did something that we've never done in St. Catharines, which was have an actually interfaith letter of concern signed by all of the downtown churches and faith communities sent to the city and the councillors. And I'm pleased to report that last night, monies for a self-cleaning washroom were approved at council. Whoa! Sorry, you can't see me. <laughs> it is good for good for all good for all of yeah. you. But it shows what you can do, right? And and here's the thing: is I think we forget that our churches are this bastion of people of an age who can write in cursive. And that indicates to me that they are educated, they are concerned, they are engaged, and we just need to mobilize them to be able to make social change. Yeah, that's one of the things that I have been really contemplating in my role with Shining Waters Regional Council is how to shift what is considered justice work out of just the sort of niche group of people who are kind of always doing that work and getting it into the congregations. Okay. I think it's really interesting that, um, that often I've heard from folks as we age and I'm definitely getting there, we become more invisible and people seem to think that we have, we have less input. You know, it's all about, I I love getting to do this. It's all about you millennials right? You've got the power. And it's like, absolutely not. You know, I think the message that needs to go out to the congregations is that you have power. You just need to use it. I mean, I would love if every retirement home in St. Catharines had an hour dedicated every week to emailing and writing your politicians about whatever you're concerned about today. They'd be bombarded. We could change the world. And we can change the world using the folks that are have seen it all and are ready and have time on their hands and have enough education, enough willingness, enough engagement to actually do this work. And I'll tell you, they're all sitting in churches mm-hmm. and synagogues. And we just need to mobilize them. But to do that, you can't be afraid of the pulpit. You can't be afraid to say the word poop. I will tell you that everybody does that. Everybody can engage immediately. What would it be like to have no bathroom? What if I had no running water? What would that be like for me? 
it's quick and it's easy and it's engaging, but you need to preach from a place of, of mm-hmm. realism. Yeah. And that's, I mean, if we're looking at the passage too, that's what John's doing as well. He's preaching, exactly. he's preaching yeah. loud. He's preaching to, to a people who need to hear what he is saying too. And when he's talking about the wilderness, he's appeared in the wilderness and he's talking about crying out in the wilderness. Um, like we have this sense in Canada sometimes of, of what wilderness is and sort of you've got your MEC backpack and you're hiking and you're in mm. the Rocky Mountains and heading off to Lake Louise and going on a canoe and stuff. But I think the wilderness here is is definitely about people who are on the fringes of of their mm. of society. Um, we're in we're hearing words that were written right in the midst of a war or at least very shortly after a war with an occupying force right so you've got mm-hmm. John um, de- declaring that we need to prepare the way so what does that look like what are we preparing mm-hmm. what do we want that to look like Right. And I think there's a couple of things in here that I just love in this passage. Um, you know, you notice that this is like a great, almost an editorial. They notice what he's wearing and what he's eating. <laughs> I love that. So, you know, it's not like he looked like everybody else. He didn't sound like anybody else. He was wild. He brought attention to himself. And that's not a comfortable place from the pulpit. Um, you know, nobody wants to be the wild man from the pulpit. But I'll tell you, there are a lot of great things being said that aren't being heard. So there's a a bit of an entertainment factor, I think, here. And I think the charismatic preaching of of other denominations is lost on us a little bit. You know, we tend to be an intellectual intellectual denomination. Yeah, if we could fix racism by a book study, we'd we'd be Exactly, right. Right. Um, until you kind of ha- realize, oh, wait, I've got to actually put on the T-shirt and go out and mm-hmm. shout. Right. And that's what John did. He wasn't afraid. You know, and the other piece of the puzzle here is wilderness. And I had my covenanting service with Silver Spire and the region here on Sunday. And uh, our friend, uh, Reverend Murray Pruden, preached on wilderness uh, for my covenanting service and the gifts mm-hmm. of the wilderness. The wilderness certainly gives you the moment and the opportunity to grasp what is important and what your values are. Right? It grasps the fact that you need shelter and you need food. <laughs> you know, you need protection from the sun and the wind and the rain. And the wilderness will teach you. It will teach you so much. Jesus goes out to the wilderness often to be tempted, sure, but to learn, to learn what his vocation was. People here go to the wilderness to this crazy wild man who I always picture with locust legs sticking out of his teeth, (laughs) always, to find out, hey, what is your job? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. How do we prepare that? We're in the middle of Advent. This is our job, right? 
And I think we do it by tilling that earth, right? Creating a place where things can grow. Yeah, we got to dig up some weeds. We got to pull it out. We got to make that earth fertile. It's pretty exciting. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Karen. It's been a pleasure as always to get to hang out with you and pick your brain and listen to your wisdom. And I thank you for your ongoing advocacy and commitment to the people whom you serve. Thank you so much, Brianne. You are always an inspiration. And I really, really appreciate this opportunity to hang out with you. Listen closely now Through all the wrong sounds Trying to hear Listen closely now The last will be first The far will be near She's been calling in the wild She's been calling in the wild Listen closely now Make straight the path The wilderness here Listen closely now The one who comes next Will march through this fear She comes calling from the wild She comes calling from the wild Crouched in darkness once again With the cast out and the lonely Where the broken speak out boldly In the desperate cries of the used and wild She comes calling Listen closely now, a plea in the night, a love to proclaim. Listen closely now, a witness, a victim, the word and a name. She comes calling with the wild. She comes calling with the wild As a scandal as a child She comes calling with the wild Calling with the wild Listen 
That was Calling with the Wild by Chris Tyndall and me. And before that, we were listening to the wise, wise words of Karen Orlandi, minister at Silver Spire United Church in St. Catharines. Let me make the songs for the people, songs for the old and young, songs to stir like a battle cry wherever they are sung. Not for the clashing of sabers, for carnage, nor for strife, but songs to thrill the hearts of all with more abundant life. Let me make the songs for the weary, amid life's fever and fret, till hearts shall relax their tension and careworn brows forget. Let me sing for little children before their footsteps stray, sweet anthems of love and duty to float o'er life's highway. I would sing for the poor and aged when shadows dim their sight of the bright and restful mansions where there shall be no night. Our world so worn and weary needs music pure and strong to hush the jangle and discords of sorrow, pain, and wrong. Music to soothe all its sorrow, till war and crime shall cease, and the hearts of all grow tender, girdle the world with peace. you so much for listening to this week's episode. We will be back next week, Advent 3, talking about joy and revolution with special guest Amelda de Coteau from the Pray With Our Feet podcast. But until then, take care of yourselves and your neighbors, and remember that we are all neighbors. This podcast is brought to you by Shining Waters Regional Council, an administrative grouping within the United Church of Canada. You can find us online at www.shiningwatersregionalcouncil.ca.